Crossway Church Sermon Audio. I'm going to look at 2 Peter chapter 3, so go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. But while you're turning, let me ask you a question. What would it be like if you knew you knew you say you had a year to live? And let's think of it in a good way, right? Because like the story of Elijah in the Bible, uh, God took him up to heaven in a whirlwind, so it was a wonderful thing. Uh, a good transition and to be with the Lord. But say you, you knew you had a year. Actually, let's say you knew you had one day left tomorrow. What would you, what would you choose to do? What would be some of the things that you'd want to do? And I know, I'm, I imagine for many of you, you're thinking, well, I would want to see this person and this person and see this, say goodbye to this person, those, those sorts of things. And, and some of others of you are thinking, well, I'd like to do that thing on the bucket list I haven't done yet. Maybe I can schedule a skydiving trip or something. Or maybe others are thinking, well, I just want to get an ice cream from my favorite ice cream place. Uh, but regardless of what you might be thinking to do, that question really sharpens how you choose to live your life and how you choose to spend your time, doesn't it? If you knew you had one day. Well, the Bible actually says that we all have one day looming ahead of us. It's the final day. The final day, the day of the Lord, when God comes to judge the living and the dead and reward his faithful and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. That day. We all have that day looming in front of us. And and that day is meant to bring us wisdom, great wisdom. And really, that's what Peter is talking about in this third chapter. So let me pray, uh, and then we'll read the chapter, and we'll dig in, and God willing, gain some wisdom uh, from what he teaches here. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for each one here today. I thank you, Lord, uh, that you are good enough to us to let us know about this ultimate day that looms ahead for all of us and brings uh, great promise for those who run to Jesus and great warning for those who don't. You are good to not surprise us, but to care enough. And I know you love each one here and you want each of us to walk wisely in our lives with this final day in mind. So help me, Lord, to to proclaim your word uh, appropriately, clearly, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, be here with us. God, the Spirit, we want to hear from you. We want to be transformed by you and to live with you. So we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It all fits together. uh, And then we'll dig in. So God's word, 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own evil desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. 
But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom, wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do to the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow and the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. God's word from Second Peter chapter 3. So Peter is writing this letter because he's eager to help his readers be ready for the ultimate day, the day of the Lord. There are really three things that he's doing here. We'll divide it into three different subpoints. Uh, He's teaching us that we should live every day in light of the ultimate day. That's the big picture idea here. Live every day. Live today. Live tomorrow. Live Sunday. And every day of your life, every day in light of the ultimate day. Three different ways we can do that. First, to be aware. Second, to be ready. And third, to be strengthened. So we'll go through that uh, as we go through the whole chapter. So first, to be aware. Verses 3 through 10 we'll look at. Peter is writing his friends, uh, and, and he wants to remind them of things they already know. It's actually interesting. That's how he starts, right? He wants to stir them up by way of reminder, stir up their sincere mind. Uh, he's, he knows them. He knows that they believe in Jesus. He knows his sincere mind, a, a true heart that's there that, that will respond to reminders. Reminders sometimes, though, can be hard, right? When somebody reminds you of something you already know. Like, I already knew that. Why are you telling me that? Um, but we forget things, don't we? We forget lots of things. Uh, we forget things like, uh, even when I was young, I'm older now, I forget a lot more things. It happens like what Pastor Pete was talking about last night, as you get older. But when you're young, you forget stuff. I can remember being young, forgetting my wallet, forgetting a homework assignment, that math assignment I didn't want to do, somehow forgot about it, uh, forgetting to take out the trash, even like cringy things like forgetting to get my mom a Mother's Day present, stuff like that. I did that when I was young. Don't do that anymore, just in case you're wondering. But, um, 
I actually still have dreams, that this is, so I'm almost 60 years old, I still have dreams that it's the end of my college semester and I forgot to go to class all semester long and now I have to take the final. Anyone have those dreams? I, I still have them. So I forget stuff. We all forget stuff. But then we also remember all sorts of stuff that's not that important, right? We, we remember the stats of our favorite athlete, right? Um, what's the RBI record right now? Anyone know? Someone out there probably knows baseball fan. We know things like that. We know, maybe we know all the words to Taylor, all the Taylor Swift songs. Can't say I do, but maybe you do. We remember certain things, but we forget the most important thing. Because of our fallen nature, we forget the good news of Jesus, the truth of Jesus over and over again. It's really uncanny how quickly we forget. And, and this is how you measure that you forget. Anytime you don't live your life in faith, hope, and love, you're forgetting the good news of Jesus because that's what happens. When you forget Jesus, when you forget the good news that he, he loves you and gave himself for you, your sins are forgiven, you belong to him, you don't walk in faith, hope, and love and you do the things, I do the things that I shouldn't do. So it happens all the time. So Peter is doing the loving thing here to remind us of these things. And he calls his readers beloved. I think it's four times throughout this chapter. And that's a word, that's a strong word. We don't, we don't use the word beloved, right? You don't go up to your friend like, how you doing today, beloved? Right, we don't, we don't do that. But, the, but it was a word that you would use, um, a term of endearment in your family. Um, kind of like dear, but stronger than that. Um, and so Peter is calling his readers beloved. He's saying, I love you guys. And I want you, because I love you, I want to remind you. That's what loving people do, is we tell them, the most important things they need to know and the most important thing that someone needs to know is Jesus and the truth that comes with it. So Peter's doing that here in this letter. He wants them to remember what the prophets uh, have written, what Jesus commanded, uh, and he wants them to remember the core truth ultimately. So if you read through the whole letter, you see that's the main thing he wants, the truth of Jesus. He wants them to remember Christ crucified and risen and then all that comes with it. In this section, he's focusing more on the reality of the final day and the reality of scoffers. So that's why he says, first of all, knowing first of all that scoffers will come scoffing. It's interesting. He's saying knowing that in light of knowing the prophets and Jesus' commands. And the prophets and Jesus' commands, Jesus' teaching, are ultimately about Jesus, his death and resurrection. But there's a other storyline that goes along with the good news, and that's the storyline of scoffers throughout the ages. And Peter, because he loves them, he wants to remind them of the good news of Jesus, but also remind them of the reality of scoffers. There are those that scoff, those, those that look at the truth and, and choose to scoff, to oppose it, to make fun of it. Um, and, and so Peter describes these, these scoffers, this sad story of the scoffers. They follow their own sinful desires, scoffers do. Their sinful desires, their desires to really make themselves God or to make other things God and not to, to worship and trust the true God, uh, that desire, that, that is the root of sin and sin actions come out of that orientation. So these scoffers, that's how they're oriented. They want, a, they want a universe without God and they follow their own sinful desires, whatever form that comes in. They've denied God, they've replaced him. And they make fun of this whole idea that God is going to judge the world. That's what's going on here. And so Peter 
quotes them. He puts words in their mouth. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're basically saying, where's this return? Where's this last day? Where's this judgment? Because it's just like it's always been. And, and there was a belief at the time, much like now, that, that the material world was permanent and, and eternal. And so they were saying, look, you know, things, were, things formed a long time ago and they still exist and this is all ridiculous. We, we hear similar things. Where's Judgment Day? Where's Jesus? Everybody always thinks Jesus is coming back. When's he going to come back? You know, it's no different than it was generations ago. So stop believing in fairy tales and do your own thing. That's more or less what they're saying. But Peter says that they willfully overlook. They willfully overlook. They don't want to have God in the picture. And so their, their tale of why they scoff is, is a willful tale. They, they, they come up with it as a way to excuse their behavior. They willfully overlook that there's more to the story. That there is a creator who made all things and, and has the prerogative to unmake what he's made. And so Peter points to the original creation story and what they forget. They forget that long ago the heavens existed and God formed, formed the earth out of water and through water. So if you read the story in Genesis, that's what happens. He separates, uh, separates the waters and then the land emerges out of the waters and God creates the land and fills it and puts mankind over it to trust him and to love him and to, to rule as kings and priests over his creation. And really, it's a, co a cosmic temple, really. The, the earth is like a giant place of worship is what it's meant to be. But it's formed out of water and it's by God's word. He speaks and it happens. And Peter points to that saying they forget this, that God made it out of water by his word and God unmade it through water in his word when he judged in the days of Noah. So just like he made it, he can unmake it. And if you know the story of, of Noah, things were so wicked at that time. Mankind was so wicked. It says in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How horrible it must have been. Every intention of the heart. Everything. Thank God we're, we're not there. God restrains evil. Ultimately the reason that we're not there is because God is restraining evil in, in humanity apart from Christ. That's where we go. If God were to pull back, we would eventually get to the place where Every intention of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. No, no goodness, no love for one another, certainly no love for God. And that's how wicked it was in the days of Noah. It was just wickedness to the ultimate degree. Only evil intentions. Imagine living in that. Um, and God in his holiness and goodness judged the world and flooded the whole world. And everybody but Noah and his family perished and the animals who were saved as well. And so just as God made it through the water by his word, he judged it through the water by his word. And he will do it again. That's what Peter's saying. So don't think that the day isn't coming. The day is coming. The day is coming. And God will judge the scoffers and the ungodly, those who have ignored God. Those who have followed the sinful desires of their hearts. Those who have not run 
to God. God is a God of great patience and mercy and grace. He's there for us. He wants us to run to him. He loves us. He expects us. We, we need him. We, it's preposterous to think that we can live without him. We're made by him and for him. Of course we need him in every way. He wants that. He's there for us. But, but for those who scoff and refuse and ignore him and sin against one another, there is judgment coming. Because this is his house, not ours. We, we dwell in his house. You are his creation. You are not independent from him. And you live in his creation. He is the creator. He gets to decide what goes on in his house ultimately. And he is bringing a judgment day. Imagine, just imagine, say you were, say you were a wealthy duke or duchess. Um, and you own a vast estate. Uh, and in your, this wealthy, benevolent duke or duchess, you have a vast estate, and you decide, just because you are gracious and you love people, you invite basically the county to come for a grand party at your house. You have a, you have a castle sort of thing, and grounds, manicured gardens and pools, and, and you know, horses, and all sorts of stuff for people to enjoy. You, you have this grand party, you invite everyone to come, and, and they come. There's lots of people, all different types of people, uh, and, and you're there and you're, you know, you're, you're kind of letting them come. You're not out front yet. And then you start making the rounds through the house and through the property. And you notice that actually people are like, are like littering on your property. The, the, the Coke cans, the beer cans are getting tossed and left on the lawn. And, and, uh, and you know, food plates are scattered here and there. And somebody somehow got the keys to your car and did donuts in your front lawn. And then you go inside and there's like trash and stuff. People have stuffed like trash underneath the cushions. And you're like, what would you be thinking? Like, what in the world is going on? I just, I've invited everybody for this wonderful party and gracious and they're, and they're trashing the place. And, 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 you, and you walk through and, and you decide, well, maybe I just need to interact with people. So you just interact. You go to introduce yourself and you say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the Duke Paul. Um, welcome, it's glad, glad to have you here. And, and instead of like shaking your hand and saying, thank you so much, this is a beautiful place, they, they just go like, who? And then you say, go to another person, hi, I'm Duke Paul, and you start to talk and, and they just roll their eyes and they walk away. Um, and what would you be thinking? Like, what? What the audacity of these people? And then to make it more ridiculous, um, it's the party's over, it's the next day, and you find out that there's a whole bunch of people actually that are still there. And, and they're living, they're like sleeping in the bedrooms and living in the house and, and, uh, and they are squatters and they decide, no, we're going to take over here. And actually they hire a lawyer to sue you to say that you're not supposed to be there. And then there's another group in the house that actually says that you don't exist. That, uh, that there's just the spirit of the duke. It's not a real duke. It's just the spirit of the duke. And they, and they find your favorite cat and they, and they take the cat and they say, this cat represents the spirit of the duke. And they, and they make a special place for the cat and they, they love the cat and, and make a big deal of the cat. All the while, you're there. It's a ridiculous story, isn't it? But it's a metaphor of the reality of God's vast estate. And the reality that God has made all things and he's invited us to this party, he's invited us to live in his creation, to love him, to enjoy him and enjoy all that he makes. And yet we do the same sorts of things. Actually, Romans 1 more or less says what I just said. That's what mankind does. We end up worshiping the cat instead of God or the house. 
And so God, it's, it's his house. And so he, he gets to judge what goes on in his house. He gets, he gets to appropriately request of us, because we're actually his creations as well, that we would trust and obey him. And so he brings judgment. He has a day waiting. There's a day looming, a judgment day coming. That's what Peter's talking about. He is good. He is good, but he's not a pushover. He's not a giant Santa Claus that will just wait forever and let, let people do whatever they want. He's holy. It's like what, uh, what was said about Aslan in the C.S. Lewis line in The Witch in the Wardrobe when they asked about Aslan, who's the Christ figure, is he safe? And the answer is, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. This is who God is. And because he's good, he, he, brings, he brings judgment. And Peter says the day in verse 10 will come like a thief. How does a thief come? Well, a thief comes when you don't expect him, when you're not there, when you forgot to lock the door or the window, right? A thief doesn't come while you're there at the center of the front door. So the idea is that this comes when you didn't expect it. These scoffers are not going to be expecting it. They're going to be going about their business. Things in the mainstream culture will be going along their normal way when the final day comes. Because it will come like a thief for them. They, they won't expect it. And we might not expect it if we're not warned here by Scripture. And it says when they come, the heavens will pass away with a roar. It won't be a quiet event. The heavenly bodies, presuming that they would last forever, the scoffers do. Peter says they will be burned up and dissolved. There'll be a massive universe-wide supernova, like a giant universe-engulfing a-bomb blowing everything up. The universe as we know it will pass away and be gone in a moment. That's what Peter's saying. What we have known and experienced in terms of creation will be dissolved and everything will be exposed. Everything. Everything that we've done. Every thought we've thought. Every action we've done. Every intention for all humanity, the living and the dead, for all will stand before him judged. There'll be no more cover-ups, no more secrets, all exposed and judged in full detail. And those who have persisted in sin and self-rule, refusing to run to Christ for mercy and strength and life, will be judged justly. There'll be no injustice. God is not a tyrant. He's not looking forward to, you know, pouring out judgment, uh, per se. He is just and good. And so there'll be no injustice. It will be perfect justice. But it's a perfect justice, which means it's eternal. And there'll be a price to pay for the choices of sin. Hell, we call it, a place of eternal torment because we're set apart from God and goodness and, and unquenchable fire. It calls it utter darkness, full of gnashing of teeth and regret. That's the des destination of the ungodly. It's God's house. And he's going to deal with the scoffers eventually. And they will be judged eternally. It's no light matter. And I know it's not pleasant to hear. And, and in certain crowds, it could get us in a lot of trouble if we talk about it. But it's not very loving to gloss over this. The scoffers, those who have come into the house and ignoring God, that, that is us in our natural state. We need to be warned. And those of us who might be tempted 
to think that the scoffers are cool need to be warned. That's, that's the, one of the temptations when you're young to think scoffers are cool and to actually start following what they say. When I was in eighth grade, I decided I want to be one of the cool kids. I went to public high school. And so in ninth grade, I started hanging out with the cool kids. I started going to the parties, started smoking pot and drinking. I started playing sports. I did well in sports. I wanted to be a cool kid. And almost all the cool kids were scoffers, foolish people, running their own way. I became one of them, and I became a scoffer myself. I got into trouble, more and more serious trouble in my life. During this time, three of my friends died. Uh, one from a car accident, one from leukemia, and the other one from a sudden accident. He, the, the two, the one from leukemia and the one from the sudden accident were very close friends. The sudden accident was for his 16th birthday, his brother bought him a motorcycle. And he was like me. We were scoffers. We weren't that bad, but we were certainly not running to Jesus. And he went out for a ride on his motorcycle, I think the day after his birthday, went around a corner, hit some sand, wiped out, hit an oncoming car, and he was gone. I still see his face in that casket so vividly. And he had to go before the Lord, and I don't know what he would say. I don't think he was ready. And I was the worst of my three friends, by the way. And I thought scoffers were cool, and I was in such a dangerous place. It took my third friend with leukemia to wake me up. I think he might be with the Lord, by the way. He died we thought he was getting better and I heard on, on church on Sunday that he had died the night before. And, and I was this tough guy. I cried. And God used that to wake me up. And this is what's going on with Peter. He wants you to be ready and to not follow the scoffers. And it's the temptation of youth to think being cool is the most important thing and it can be the worst thing for you. To be aware that there's judgment. God is just and good and patient. We're going to get to that. But the call here is to, to be aware and to don't, not to wait and to not follow the scoffers and to not waste your life, to be ready. And that's my next point. Given all this, Peter wants us to live in light of this, to, to kind of ask the question, what, what do you do in light of this? What I open with, if you had one day to live, what would you do? That's kind of what he does in verses 11 through 14. How you should live, knowing this, that knowing that this reality is looming, that this final day, the judgment day is looming, it could be tomorrow. How should you live today? What would you do if you knew this was happening tomorrow? Well, well what would you do if you could somehow transport back in time? And there's all sorts of places you could go. You've probably seen the movies like this, right? But imagine you could transport back in time to 1930 Germany. And just, just imagine too, since we're imagining the impossible, you're fluent in German and you can fit right in. 1930 Germany. What was going on in 1930 in Germany? Almost. Yes? 
That's right. Hitler was just starting to take over. Just starting. And you go back, you've read your history, your ancient history, World War II history, and you know what's going to happen. You know that Hitler's going to weasel his way into the political system and take over. People are going to listen to his rhetoric and start to believe it, and it's going to go from a country that, that seems to, that like it would never have followed Hitler. By the time 1939, it's like, what, 90% of Germans think Hitler's great. And you know in 1930, well, this is coming, and you know what's going to come with it, right? World War, 6 million Jewish people put to death. 70 million war dead, civilians and soldiers. You know this is looming. You're transported there. It's 1930. So what do you do? You're going to do something, right? I don't know what. But you're going to do something because you know what's coming. And it might just be to, to warn your Jewish friends, this is coming and we need to get out of the country. And maybe you start a, a, a ministry to, to get people to safety or maybe you get involved in politics. Whatever it is, you're going to do something because you know what's looming ahead. And that's what Peter's saying here in this second part, verses 11 through 14. In light of this, given that the day is coming, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And he goes on. Because we know this is coming, and because we know it's not just judgment day for the ungodly, but it's actually reward for the, for the righteous, those that have run to Jesus, were righteous in him by his grace. Because he says in verse 13... But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, so this judgment day is going to bring a uh, dissolving of what we've known and a renewing of the heavens and the earth. There'll be a new heaven and the earth full of righteousness. What does that mean? It means that everything will be right, rightly related to God, rightly related to each other. There'll be harmony, peace, glory interrelationally with God, first and foremost, of course, one another. But all of creation will be full of what's right and perfect and glorious and it will never end. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more sin. And so that's what looms there as well. So Peter's putting that in front of them there. There's this day, judgment day coming. Yes, everything will be judged and rewarded. So how should we live? We are to live lives of holiness and godliness. What does that mean? Those sound like religious words, maybe, that don't mean too much. Holiness literally means being set apart. Set apart for God. That just makes sense, of course, right? You know what's coming. Just like if you were in 1930 Germany, you would be set apart to do something about Hitler, knowing that Judgment Day is coming and with judgments, punishment and rewards. You're going to be set apart for God and what he's doing. Now, you're going to make the most of today. You're going to live for him. You're going to put away distractions. You're going to put away things that are sinful and take you backwards. You want to move forward with the Lord. So you're going to live a life of holiness and godliness. That's just really your attitude, a life of reverence and dependence. It's not about me and my choices. I, I got to live each day. Lord, help me for this day because tomorrow could be that day. That's what Peter's saying. He says that we are to do that uh, and waiting for and hastening its coming. Isn't that interesting? Waiting for, we get that, right? Of course, you're, you're, you're aware of it. You know it's coming. You're waiting. It's, it's coming, any point. But he also says hastening its coming. Uh, why does he say that? 
Well, it's interesting. I actually skipped it earlier. One of the things that the scoffers are saying is that, you know, where's this day? What's happening? And Peter has this little parenthetical explanation there that's very interesting. Um, he, he says there, uh, verse 8, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some counsel this, but patient, is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But, uh, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So it's interesting. He, he says this is why there's a delay. Not because God's slow. But because with God a day is like a thousand years or a thousand years is a day. Well, what does that mean? Why does he say that? Is it just that God gets time confused? Like, oh, I forgot. Was it next day or next thousand years? I don't know. Is that what that means? No. It means that time itself is not as important to God as other things. That's what that means. A day or a thousand years. I'm, I'm flexible is kind of what God's saying. Why is he flexible? What does it say? Why is he slow? As some might count slowness. Why is he not worried about whether it takes a thousand years or a day for him to bring this final day? He says he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. That's what it says. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So why is the day delayed? What is, what is Peter saying? Because God doesn't want anybody to be judged and eternally condemned on that day. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to reach repentance. He has a plan. He wants all to do that. So he's patient. He's, he's patient and waiting for that day. That's the point. Because he's wanting all to repent. And, and we know this, right? Because, because we're taught this. We're taught that there's a plan going on between the time Christ ascended and when he returns. There's a plan. Jesus told them, right? What did Jesus tell his disciples before he left? There was work to do. What was that work? Go and make disciples of all nations. Right? He told them to go and bring the good news to all the nations, to all the peoples throughout the globe. And then and, and elsewhere in Matthew, it says, then the end will come. So God's heart is a heart of mercy and patience. The reason that the day didn't happen today, for some of you, perhaps, it's because you haven't yet given your life to Christ. And he's waited an extra day for you. And he might wait a lot more days, but you don't know. Hear his heart. He wants you to turn away from self and sin. Trust in Jesus who died to pay for your sins so you could be clean and forgiven. He wants to make you part of his family forever. And he's delaying judgment for that. If it's not you, it might be a friend at school or neighbor. And certainly in light of what he says in Matthew 28, we know it's not just our neighbor who are neighbors who are next door, but on the other side of the globe. There are about 8 billion people in the world right now, almost 4 billion of them, almost half, 
have no opportunity really at all to hear about God's mercy in Christ, to hear about the good news. God is waiting for that work to be completed. And he might be waiting for you, by the way, to hear his call to go there, to bring the good news, to reach the people who haven't heard yet. And so that's what he's saying here, waiting for and hastening the day. How do we hasten the day? How do we make it come sooner? By finishing the work he gave us to do. By ourselves, of course, coming and trusting in him. By telling others, by loving them and showing them what it looks like to trust Christ. So that, that, it, that the good news can be adorned and, and appealing to people. But to go to the nations as well. There are so many people who need to know. I know lots of stories I could tell you. Just tell you one quick story. Of a tribe in Papua New Guinea full of people like you and me. And the story is a friend, it's a friend of a, a friend of mine, was there as a missionary and brought the good news to this tribe, this isolated tribe. And that tribe, to grow up as a young man or young woman, was to grow up in a world full of evil, demonization, murder, rape, deceit, warfare, disease. If you read about some of these tribes, um, it, it was it's horrible how they live all the time, always in fear. And he brought the good news to this tribe. It took some time. It took 20 years actually to translate and to love them and to be there for them. And yet God opened their eyes and they believed the good news and they received it. And you can look it up. It's called the Eteri tribe, I-T-E-R-I, Eteris. And they experienced transformation in the gospel forgiveness and freedom from demonic stuff and evil stuff and it was a powerful thing that happened in this tribe and the tribes around it who were still stuck in darkness heard about it. They heard about what had happened with the Uteris and they wrote letters to my friend. Here's one of them. From Wapia Sanaki. He says, what's going on? Where is our help? Have you forgot about us? We of Sinai haven't forgot about wanting a missionary. We carry a huge heavy constantly about this. We carry this heavy because we fear for our lives. We know the Bible says you should come and tell us. Us dark ones need it. How will we go to God's place if not? Only those who know will go. How will we know if no one teaches us? That's the bottom line of my worry. We want a missionary now to give us God's talk. Wapia Sinaki, Sinau Village. There are people living in great darkness and some like Wapia know it. No one, my friend wasn't able to go there. He had to be with this other tribe. And part of how we hasten the day is going to people like Wapia and maybe giving our lives to translating the Bible and loving them and living among them so that they may not perish but may have life in this world and the world to come. So Peter is calling us to live in this way. He's calling us to run away from sin. He calls us to hasten the day. He calls us in verse 14 to be diligent, to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace with God. He calls us to take our lives seriously, to take trusting God and obeying him seriously. Not a spot or blemish. Does that mean perfection? No, it doesn't. Peter wasn't perfect. You can read about Peter. He made mistakes. He messed up badly at times. There hasn't been a Christian who hasn't messed up. That's not what he's talking about. 
What he's talking about here is not allowing sin to persist in your life. So the idea of there being spots or blemishes of sin that remain and are hidden. Given that this day is looming, it could come tomorrow, you don't want to be in that place where you're like, man, I should have got help for that temptation. I should have got with my youth pastor and shared my struggles or someone I can trust, my parents, and asked them to pray for me and got help for that, to, to learn, to put away that sinful temptation, that sinful behavior, and trust Jesus. It's not perfection. It's just not letting things linger. When you get dirty today... You're not going to stay dirty, right? Hopefully, you're going to go take a shower and clean up somehow. It's the same idea, what Peter's saying. Given that the day is looming, could be tomorrow, don't stay dirty. Run to Jesus. Run to the light, as, as John says. If we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's what he's talking about. Given that this day is looming in front of us, let us run into the light together. Share, confess our sins to those we can trust. Pray for each other. And, and remember the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. So we're clean and we're ready. Final point, be strengthened more quickly. Verses 15 through 18. All this that's been talked about so far only can happen if we're strengthened by him. And this is how Peter finishes. Verses 15 through 18. He says to count the patience of the Lord as salvation. That's how he transitions in verse 15. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. In other words, what we've been talking about, the, the Lord is patient because he wants salvation for our lives. He wants us to be holy. He wants others to be saved. It's his patience. And then he returns a little bit as he talks about Paul and his writings. He says, just as our brother Paul teaches in and, and his writings and, and he, he basically says Paul's writings are scripture. But he also says something about Paul that we maybe all feel at some point. He says some of the things Paul says are hard to understand. There's some deep theology in Paul for sure, things that are hard to understand. But then he says the scoffers twist, the, the weak and unstable twist these things. So they grab hold of something that's challenging and they twist it to kind of excuse themselves. And Peter says, don't do that. Don't make the scriptures about your pet theology or your bizarre theology. Instead, stay away from that stuff because it's going to destabilize you. Instead, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't do that stuff. Don't get caught up in that stuff. Don't be deceived. Don't listen to the scoffers. Don't be pulled in by, by weird theology or weird ideas that seem to make sense but really don't. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where strength comes from. Strength to live each day with that day looming can only come as you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where he calls them beloved again. Verse 17, you therefore beloved, take care that you're not carried away with these things and lose your stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's one sentence that says a lot because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is expansive. It's wonderful. It's great. Uh, I, I saw in the, the bookshop, you guys have the book, uh, Deeper. And I encourage you to read that book. It's about going deeper in the grace that we have in God and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing better 
than the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, given himself for us, loving us, there for us, always welcoming us to him as we run to him, forgiving our sins, giving us strength, helping us, using our sufferings, as Pastor Pete talked about, to, to create glory. This is the grace of Jesus. And to know him, God in the flesh, this humble one who gave himself for us in all his goodness and glory. There's nothing better. That's how we strengthen ourselves, growing in the grace and knowledge. This is how we should live. This should be our central focus. That's what Peter's saying. That's what he wants to remind them with. You need to be nourished and strengthened by Jesus. Do you guys know what lembus bread is? Lembus? from uh, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, book or movies, right? Lembus bread is this special bread that the, uh, actually the Valar made, one of the Valar made, so these are like uh, great angels under God in, in Tolkien's uh, fictional world. But they made this bread, this really special bread that the elves, who are kind of like semi-angelic human things in the book, um, that the elves make. And it only takes a little wafer of this bread to feed a, a, a big guy for a whole day. And so they feed on this lembus bread, and in the story you can read about that, how they do that. They feed on this little wafer that keeps them going. Well, there's a spiritual bread that's better than lembus, and you have a limitless supply. So wouldn't it be cool if you could have lembus bread to carry around, but you have something better? The spiritual bread... It's described this way. Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Spiritually, you are nourished by Jesus, the bread of life. I imagine for all of you, you have a long journey ahead in your life before your day of going to be with the Lord or before that final day. It could happen tomorrow. But the day is coming soon and we're to live aware. We're to live so as to be ready and we're to be strengthened. And so Peter finishes by calling us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and says, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. How do we accomplish what he calls us to do here? It's all in Jesus, the glorious one. We're strengthened by him, depending on him. We live aware of that final day and we live to be ready. Let's pray. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.